Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners. It's Nicole Giantonio, the founder of Left Foot, and I'm here to announce that our 12 audio-based business development challenges are now available. 12 practical, execution-oriented steps to predictable success. Part of the Left Foot GPS Growth Practice Solutions for Business Development. Go to leftfoot.com GPS for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest is an intellectual property practice leader with specific experience in the application of copyright law to software. In addition to her time in private practice, she spent eight years as an in-house lawyer with Microsoft, leading their trade secret group, and as an associate general counsel responsible for worldwide antitrust compliance efforts. Perkins Coie partner, Judy Jennison, welcome to Left Foot. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Judy. And for our listeners, I just spent some time at the Clock Institute, the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, and Judy was there. I'm excited to be able to talk to her about some of her sessions. But before we do that, we're going to jump right into our standard questions, which our listeners have become accustomed to hearing. So Judy, the first one is when we ask about your personal strengths and habits and how they've allowed you to be successful developing business for your practice and for your firm. That's a great question. So I think for me, it probably has been my interest in other people. It's one of the things that drives me in getting to know others, figuring out how I can help them succeed, what's important to them. That's something that always fires me up and always engages me. And I think that that's one of the things that's helped me quite a bit. When it's about them and about their interests and the challenges that they have in front of them, that can really lead to some great conversations. As you're out working with clients and talking with clients about their objectives, are there particular things that you ask them about on a regular basis, unique things that you start those conversations off with? Well, I think that a lot of that was informed by my time in-house. You know, I've spent a lot of years on the other side. And so I know how big in-house legal departments work. I understand how people are, what the path to success is in many places. And so one of the things that I tend to focus on is really understanding the culture, really understanding what my in-house contact is trying to accomplish, what their goals are for their career, not just a particular engagement that we're working on or a, you know, a particular outcome, but what are they focused on for the year or the next couple of years? What's going to impress their management chain, et cetera. Understanding that allows me to, first of all, think about the assets that Perkins Coie has and leverage those assets for my clients in a better, richer way. And it also just really allows me to sort of, you know, stand in their shoes and be able to anticipate how the legal advice we provide is going to be used by them and provide it in a way that makes it easy for them to use and helps them accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. That kind of partnership not only helps everyone in business, but I'm sure it helps create some great relationships that will go on for a long time. You're part of firm leadership and you have some obligations to the firm to continue to bring in the same amount of revenue plus each new year that starts. 
What does your growth strategy look like? Is it a formal strategy? Is it something that you do more as a reflective experience at the beginning of a year and then pretty much don't return to? Or is it something that you're actively engaging in? So I am a huge proponent of the David Allen getting things done system. And that's that's a little bit in some ways more tactical than strategic, but I want to start there. That's the system that I use for managing sort of, you know, a five-year time horizon, a three-year time horizon, one year, et cetera, and making sure that the projects that I have on my plate all map to the, the larger objectives that I have down the road. Things that are guiding posts for me through the course of the year. One is the law firm strategic plan, which is you know what I use as kind of a general framework for making sure that the time that I'm investing in client development and practice development and firm development is really consistent with the firm's larger objectives. I'm engaged in relationship management right now. That's where I'm spending most of my time for one of the firm's major clients. And I have a separate business plan for our engagement with that client that I developed at the beginning of the year and that has six or so primary areas of focus that are mapped out into projects that help support those areas of focus. And so I come back to those areas and to that business plan every few months just to check in and see how we're doing. In my day-to-day life, a lot of it is pretty random. And most of my days are not spent doing things I planned to do. Most of them, most of it's spent reacting to new opportunities, challenges, et cetera. And so I do, you know, like most other people, I think in this business, I do get from time to time sort of derailed from the plan that I have put in place. But I do try to come back to it every month or two months to just sort of check in and say, hey, how are we tracking? There you go. So it's interesting when we're dealing with clients, right? They are the driver. And of course, they're the driver in a good way. Tactically, if they're continuing, they're coming to you, they're talking to you about either current opportunities and potential new things you can assist them with. Have you ever had that experience working with a client and you realize you haven't met some of those objectives and you had an opportunity to either find a way to expedite an objective through engaging others on your team. I guess the question is, how do you manage all of those priorities? Because the day-to-day can take up a good portion of your efforts. I would say it's a little bit more driven by instinct and bandwidth on the team than really driven by a plan. I will say that one thing that I have learned finally after so many years, more than 25 years in practice, is that I really have to get out of the way. I have to empower the people on my team to do what they're good at and stay out of the way. And I think that particularly as my practice has matured and as I've matured into a role that's more of a relationship management role, there is a kind of a, I'm drawn to try to kind of put my fingerprints on everything in a way that's really counterproductive (laughs) for what we're trying to do. And so I have found and keep reminding myself that if I can empower others to manage their portion of the relationship or manage their engagement, they're going to do a great job and they're going to do a better job than I could do if I were trying to quarterback everything. Now, there are some times when things maybe don't go as smoothly as you'd like for one reason or another. Maybe it's not the right fit on the team. Maybe we need to shuffle people around. Maybe our folks just don't really understand and appreciate the client's goals as well and need more education. There are a lot of reasons something may not gel. And it's always our goal to make sure that everybody on both sides is delighted. If the clients are delighted, the Perkins lawyers are delighted, they stay engaged, they do better work for the client, 
they want to stay at the firm instead of going to an in-house job. You know, it's all, if we can make for a happy, productive engagement every time, then that works so much better for everyone beyond just the notion that the client will like us and want to hire us again. So we always strive to have the engagements be, this is kind of a funny word to use, but to be sort of joyous for people on both sides. And when that doesn't happen, we try to address it. One of the things that's the most important for me is making sure that the clients feel they can talk to me or someone else on my team about what's not working well and make sure that they understand that we're open to fixing that and that we love to get that feedback. That's the thing that a client can do that helps me the most is to say, hey, something's not working. Let's try to fix this. Because if they don't tell me, I can't fix it. And you know, they may just make a decision to move on. And that's certainly not what we want to have happen. It's one of the things that we talk about in our coursework here at Foot is when the cadence of communication at the client either changes you know, slows down, the tone changes, or when they stop giving you that feedback, that's a time to get more concerned because that feedback is so valuable. When you're working with clients, continuing to drive work through your practice, having that strong client connection. And a lot of that is about that joyous environment of keeping all the people happy so that they're talking to each other, they're communicating with each other, and then you're able to get that feedback and to adjust. It's great to hear that that's part of your practice and that's part of how you're addressing the needs of your clients and of course the needs of your team. Of course, keeping them happy is an important fact in that. I had the pleasure of seeing you do a session with one of your clients and another firm, which was really exciting to see the two firms presenting with that client. And you talked about a contracting relationship that I took away as unique and something that we don't hear about a lot and definitely haven't heard about on Left Foot. And I was hoping you could share that without mentioning the client, but talk about kind of the way you've been creative in structuring agreements for success with your clients. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to talk about it. It's one of the things that I'm just super excited about. It's been a little bit of an experiment for us this year, and I had very high hopes for it. And so far, it is exceeding my expectations, and I, I hope that it continues to do that. So for our shorthand, we refer to this as the total team model. And the genesis of it is that, as we've mentioned, I spent some time in an in-house legal department earlier in my career. And the, one of the things that was an impediment for us hiring outside counsel, well, a few things that were impediments were the ability for outside counsel to kind of quickly step in and meet our internal timelines and have enough information and background and understanding to really be able to engage, to take something off my plate in a way that would get us a good result. And that that wouldn't result in me investing more time than it would take for me to do the underlying task or project myself. So it was having people with outside knowledge, having people who could quickly step in. The, you know, budget constraints were a problem. If you, you know, for for more junior folks in-house, they have to get approval from somebody higher up the chain to open a matter. It can take a couple of days, takes too long. You know, suddenly your client's deadline's gone by and there's no way that you can satisfy their need without staying up all night and getting it done yourself. And so I just always felt that there was a better way to do this. That if we thought about the partnership and thought about the law firm's task in a different way, that we'd be able to have an outside counsel team that really is more of an extension of the in-house legal team and have a team that would be able to jump in more quickly and provide more value, really provide just a richer experience for everybody. And so we developed this total team model and we provide all outside counsel legal services for a subgroup within a client's legal department. This particular work that we've tried it with for the pilot does not include litigation. It is mostly transactional work, legal advice, 
regulatory advice. So it's non-litigation work, but we're providing all of the outside counsel work for this particular group for the year for a fixed fee, which we have divided by 12. So it's a monthly fixed fee with a discretionary success bonus to be paid at the end, totally within the client's discretion. And we arrived at the number not by, you know, trying to figure out how many projects there would be and how we would staff those and what the realization would be or any of that. I just said, give me a percentage of your outside counsel budget for the year. My in-house client, the deputy general counsel, has a budget. He needs to manage that budget for the work for his team. I said, I'm going to take that off your plate. I'm going to manage it. So when your folks come to us and say, hey, we want you to you know, work on a particular project, we're going to have a discussion about whether that work is really work that's valuable, that's sufficiently valuable to justify the, the time that we would spend in it. And some things we're going to push back on. Some things we'll say, you know, yep, absolutely, we'll do that. And the client really liked this partnership, really liked the feeling that we were really engaged in helping them manage this work rather than just handling a project by project, things on a project by project basis. So we started it last July. We developed a workflow tool that helps us keep track of the work. The client opened a single matter so that the folks on the client side don't need to open a new matter for everything. We have sub matters on our side at the firm so that we can track the hours invested in each project and develop, you know, look a little bit more closely at the metrics. How does the time that we invested relate to the strategic value of the particular project or the predicted complexity of the particular project? Um, So we're able to report back to the client on a monthly basis about what we're working on and how the money that they're spending relates to the strategic value to the business they're supporting. And we've, you know, the workflow tool has also helped us scope projects at the beginning to make sure everybody's on the same page about what's expected. And it really has just been a great experience all the way around. There's still more work that we can do to get deeper and closer to the business, but I think we're off to a really great start. Terrific. Are you saying things that are more compliance related or could be done at a lower, a different price point than you could allow under that budget that you were basically sending those back to the client? How is that portion of this working? So there's nothing that we send back to the client. We will have scoping discussions with them when a project is kicked off to say, you know, hey, we think this is going to take longer than you think, or we think that we're not really sure we see the value. Is this something, you know, to explain to us why you think this is something that's valuable to you? We have that discussion all the way up the chain on the client side. So what has happened with this particular engagement is that a couple of projects have been of the nature of, wow, you know, that's a nice to have at some point down the road, but the client would never authorize budget for it. And what we're trying to do is keep this engagement more strategic. So for those projects, the client has said, you know what, let's find a lower cost provider to do that or let's hold off on doing that. Everywhere else, we've had some projects we've scoped differently. For example, client might come to us with a request for a 30 country survey on particular regulatory issues. And we have gone back on assignments like that and said, we think these five geos are the key geos for you. We think that if we can give you these three legal issues in these five countries, that that gives you 95% coverage and close to 100% of the risk that you'll face. Are you comfortable with that? And in every case where we've made a scoping proposal like that, the client has said, yes, perfect. 
That's exactly what we need. Thank you. Sometimes they scope a large project just because they haven't really had the time to think through where the more strategic parts of it are. And so if we can help them do that, it's great value to them. They get work product faster. They get something that has a better overlap with what's important to their business. And we are engaged in work that we know is important to them. It's a great approach. It's creative. It's definitely a different way of uh, approaching a client from what we're typically hearing. One of the things that I didn't realize is, are you using the same tool and your client using the same tool to track or are you using separate tools? That is an excellent question. So right now, we have a tool that is only on the Perkins side. The next phase of our development is to expose it to the client side. And I think what we're likely to do over the course of the next year is probably develop a new tool that will allow folks on the client side to get better reporting and data and management of their matters. Right now, they just go to a web form and enter information that auto-populates in our database, and then we can provide reporting back to them. But the reporting is on a manual basis. So it's my goal to try to to make that two-way so that they'll have the same view of the data that I have. That's terrific. And we've actually heard that at clients where they were using a similar tool. And I want to say it was Honey Brain from NetApp and one of her firms. And I think they were using ThinkSmart as the tool in between. And now a word from our sponsor, Nicole here, and a shout out and thank you for tuning into the Left Foot Podcast. Are you looking to energize your business development efforts? Our 12 Left Foot Business Development Challenges will energize your efforts in three areas. Business Development Grit, tactical habits that lead to business development success, including networking, nailing your niche, how to focus and develop an expert reputation, commercial savoir-faire, a discussion on business and the revenue side of law. At Left Foot, we believe 20% of people are natural at business development, 10% say no to business development, and 70% are neutral and can adopt the skills necessary when presented in an organized, methodical way. To learn more and be challenged, go to the GPS page at leftfoot.com. You know, with the AM100 coming out this week and a lot of discussion around the large firms not having a lot of shakeup in that top 100, but definitely there seems to be a lot of new approaches or a need for a new approach and creativity needed in not only securing, especially new clients, but retaining clients and retaining them at the number, the revenue levels that they previously were at. Businesses ebb and flow and we have to all manage through that. This arrangement you have with this key customer, really changing market conditions, Did that come out of this kind of effort within a legal operations group to really just be smarter about the way that they're spending their legal budget? How did it come about? And really, is it something you see Perkins Coie rolling out to other customers once the model's proven and there's been success? It was largely born out of encouragement from a client to be more creative and more innovative in the way we're delivering legal services and in the way we're delivering value to them. And I mean, you're absolutely right. The legal market is changing. We haven't yet seen a ton of shakeup in the big law firms, but things are brewing and our clients' businesses are changing. Whether you represent tech clients or not, everybody's becoming a tech client. Every company is a technology company. The tools are evolving so quickly now. Artificial intelligence, machine learning are going to change how we do so many things over the course of the next five to 10 years, clients and law firms alike. And so it really is important, I think, for law firms to stay focused on how our clients are changing and making sure that we're engaging with them in a way that provides them 
the most value. If we don't, they'll find somebody who will. So that's really, really important. And it's one of the things that I spent a lot of my time focused on. How is the practice of law going to evolve? And not only in how are we delivering services to our clients, how are we being creative about trying to do new things, but also how do we keep younger lawyers who are just coming out of law school now interested in staying in private practice? For our clients to succeed, they need teams of outside lawyers who are engaged in their business, who are experts in their field, who are available and effective. And if folks decide they don't really like the practice of law because it's old school, because it's too contentious, because they hate tracking time, because they don't want to work that hard, any number of reasons, because they want more balance in their lives, then we're not going to be successful as an industry. So we need to really be thinking about what's our dream life? What does the dream practice look like? And how do we get there? To me, there really are no boundaries. It's all possibility. And I invite all the lawyers at the firm and our younger lawyers in particular to share with me ideas they have for new ways we can do things that make more sense than the way we've done things historically. And I love this idea of being on a team that supports the in-house client, knowing that you're the person they're going to call every week when they have something that they need to work on, knowing that you don't have to pitch each individual piece of business really allows you to think more about helping them succeed in what they're doing and less time worried about how you're going to succeed in, in what you're doing in the law firm. That's such a great point. The partnering with them and you're part of the solution. What portion of the solution you know, are you going to be taking on and can you effectively deliver it? That's a great point. So Judy, you have a unique perspective. It's somewhat different than some of our guests. We've interviewed many in-house counsel from all different kinds of firms. Ricardo Anzaldua, MetLife, Technology, General Counsels. We had Mark Smolak from DHL on. A lot of folks from the other side of the table, the legal operations side, as well as these GCs come on and talk about buying legal services, partnering with law firms, and really what that looks like in today's world. Different transition. Most of those folks we talked to that are in-house now were at firms and went in-house. Probably the second person that has gone from being in-house to a firm. What did that look like for you? What was part of that decision? There a particular interest to be an outside counsel at this point of your career that was attractive? I always loved being in private practice and I had not thought that I would take an in-house job. Started doing some work with Microsoft and an opportunity came up there that was just a, a unique opportunity. And at the time, I was a, a fairly new partner. I'd been a partner for a few years. I was practicing in Silicon Valley. I'd had a lot of dot-com clients. You know, we had been riding the wave and things were great until things weren't great and the clients dried up and things went away. And I was honestly just afraid. I was afraid I didn't know how to do it. I was afraid I didn't know how to be a business generator. I was uh, afraid I didn't, I wasn't going to be able to tell my story to people and that I wasn't going to be able to convince them to hire me. And I was just really scared that I was going to crash and burn. And so this other opportunity came up and I thought, well, now now I'm not going to crash and burn. I can go do this other thing. And so that was a, a huge part of my decision to go. Of course, great, phenomenal client, phenomenal company, really interesting role. You know, there was a lot that was drawing me there. And I had a a really tremendous time at the company. I got to do a number of things I never thought that I would be able to do. Made great relationships, learned so much. That is a phenomenal legal department and it was really an honor to work there. But as I got a little bit older and was in my late 40s, I thought, you know, I still want to do the thing that I had always planned to do, but that I was afraid of doing. I really like being a law firm partner and I want to be a role model and example for younger lawyers. 
I want to help them achieve their goals. I want to help them not be afraid. I want to show them that there are ways to do this that may be less traditional than some of the, the old ways that I thought of as being instruments of business generation when I was a younger lawyer, drinking scotch, smoking cigars, playing golf. So I just, you know, in my heart of hearts, I thought I, I've left something undone and I need to go back and do it. And I also felt that I could be of more use to the company as outside counsel. I, you know, there are a lot of fantastic lawyers at the company, phenomenal lawyers, really interesting jobs. And I thought given the breadth of experience that I had had, that I would be of more use to the company if I was outside. So I made the move back to Perkins, but in Seattle rather than being in Silicon Valley. And it's just been a phenomenally gratifying ride. You are right in the slot of why people tune into Leftfoot. We hear from new partners that are women a lot. We hear from men who are new partners and Jill Stinson came on our program and talked about the valley of despair. It's when someone becomes a partner and the first year they're kind of winding down from their, the clients that they had when they that they were still working on. And then, of course, they're sitting and looking at this second full year as partner and thinking, where am I going to get business? And it's stressful and most people are afraid and it's concerning. And what comes into their mind is golf, drinks and cigars. And there's a different approach now. And that's a lot of what we talk about. The way you're using your business skills, using your legal skills, using your skills as a leader. By the time you became a partner, you're a pretty decent listener, hopefully, and you're able to communicate. You came back into Perkins. How did you approach that? Because of course, now you were facing that valley of despair, but with a lot more experience and with experience being on the other side, how did you approach your plan to grow your practice? I was starting from zero, coming from an in-house job. So it was it's kind of terrifying. I had a short-term plan. What are sources of work that I can do pretty quickly? You know, what's an existing case that's busy that I could jump on and do some work on? Kind of mining relationships at the firm to try to see where I could help out. Try to, to put some hours on the board. And I had early on some months with, you know, two hours, 10 hours. The first year, especially, you know, I would wake up in a cold sweat and think, why did I ever think I could do this? I don't know how to do this. And the thing that I did when I had those really rough moments was to just close my eyes and envision the dream practice. Just imagine that this was but a little blip along my path to achieving my wildest dreams. In terms of developing relationships, I obviously started with Microsoft because I had a lot of relationships there. And so worked on, you know, letting people know what I was doing and trying to help them connect with people at the firm who would help them accomplish the things that they were trying to accomplish. I tried to do activities with them that I knew that they would like. So sometimes it was lunches, sometimes it was breakfast, sometimes it was dinners. But I also really focused focused on people I liked. And I think that that's one of my bits of, of guidance for anyone listening who is trying to develop a practice, especially young partners. Find companies you're really passionate about, in-house people you really like, people who you want to be friends with. It's easier to care for them. It's easier to spend time with them. It's easier to be engaged with them. And they appreciate your engagement with them so much more. So that for me was really, I focused on the people I really liked and trying to meet more people like them and have them introduce me to others in their network who have similar sensibilities. And I found that, you know, I found a pocket of people who appreciate how I engage. They happen to like the particular gifts and skills that I have and they value them and they have helped to lift me up and promote me and introduce me to others. That is so much more productive than imagining the big fish client that you want or the, you know, somebody who's the tough nut to crack or this is going to be a real feather in my cap. But it's maybe engaging with a person or people who you don't have much in common with, you don't really gel with, 
with, it feels like work. There's someone who that person engages with, with whom it's easy. And they should be working with that person and you should be working with who you gel with for whom it's easy for you. So that to me is really kind of the framework for how I engage. If I have a client opportunity that I think I'm not, I don't feel like like I'm really the right person for this, then I find somebody for whom it's going to be a better opportunity than for me. I think a lot of us think we should be able to go into a room and meet people that we could be able to provide a service to. For me, walking into a room, I'm finding someone who I'm connecting with. Great example being at Clock. You know, I'm very nerdy about operations and it's an easy place for me to find people that I want to talk to about helping to solve business problems, make improvements. That is terrific advice. You know, really finding those people that you can connect with, seeing where that develops. And you made another great point. They will introduce you to others. Networking not only extends to that person, but to the network of the person you're talking to. That's a great way to get out there. Sounds like you got in there, you created an approach, you were comfortable with it. You're in the pocket of innovation. You live and work in an area that talks about innovation that is focused on that. You're involved with Clock. You're involved with clients that are involved with Clock. People looking at this industry and seeing what can be done to change it, to improve it, to make it more efficient. What are you seeing out there that whether it's something you're doing or your clients are doing that you would consider truly innovative in the legal space? I spend a lot of time focused on how we can deliver services in different ways. And so that's something that that I'm particularly interested in. And I will say that I think that Davis Wright Tremaine, a firm that we share a number of clients with and work together with, they're doing some really interesting things in terms of the way they're staffing work at different levels and tools that they're building for work. So that's something that I, I think is innovative. I know that there are some other firms that are engaged in trying new models, new law firm models, whether it's more of a contract attorney group of people who are you know working when they want to work, who are available at lower cost to step in. There are a number of firms, especially firms that work with tech clients that are doing that kind of thing these days. And I think that's interesting. But really, for me, I think that the real innovation hasn't yet begun. There are a lot of people who are thinking about what we need to do and thinking about change. Law firms are so slow (laughs) at change. And so I think that, you know, really embracing the promise that technology provides, really leveraging that is still several years off. I've heard that at the Clock Institute, speakers would ask, how far along are you as a group with this initiative and whether that would be knowledge management or even project management. And it was very interesting to watch that in a room of 60 people, the majority thought they were beginners and that their in-house teams were beginning the process, you know, advanced knowledge management or advanced project management. That to me is very interesting. So I, I agree with you. There's a lot of room. The technology may be there, but the implementation of it, that maturity, they're not that far along. I think that's right. And, you know, the law firms are really collections of partners who have their own areas, you know, that they're focused on. And so, you know, even in a firm like ours that is focused quite a lot on representing technology companies who are leaders in their field and focused on being innovative, there's still a lot of partners of mine who simply don't need to innovate or don't need to think about innovation the same way that I do. And so you've got a lot of constituents and a law firm business model that doesn't necessarily encourage investments this year in developing new technology or new tools that may be of interest down the road. So I think that that's, you know, the first law firm that really cracks that problem and is able to use firm profits from this year to make the big investments to really drive the advancement of a a particular technology or a technology platform is, I think, going to jump way out ahead of everybody else. 
That is what we hear more and more is that the law firm partner model is basically going to hold back the industry. So you're right. The firm that can figure out a way around that and how to structure that. Very interesting time. Judy, a lot of great information. You have a lot of energy around your work. What do you enjoy most about the work that you're doing? So I enjoy everything about what I'm doing, even the stuff that's really hard. And a lot of it is really hard. I mean, when we talk about kind of advice to folks who are earlier in their careers, trying to figure out how to put it all together, especially new partners, it's really hard. And there's a lot of stuff that you'll have to do. You'll have days where everything is hard and nothing is fun. (laughs) Nothing is easy. And you get better and better at the things that are hard and you learn to solve them and you learn to turn them into things that actually work to your advantage. And you build skills that you can add to the toolbox. And if you just kind of try not to get worn down and stay positive, you get to a point, at least I'm at a point now where even the things that are hard are fun. For me, removing roadblocks for people is super fun, whether those roadblocks are roadblocks to development for lawyers at my firm, roadblocks to development for in-house lawyers at my clients, big, gnarly, hairy initiatives, business initiatives that the clients have where there is a regulatory or policy component that they need help with, removing blockers there. I love working in the tech industry and love seeing how the world is changing and working with the people who are changing the world. And that is probably, for me, the at the center of everything that I do. Fantastic. Judy, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? Think big, be creative, think about change, think about all the things that you don't like or that are challenges. What if you could just get rid of them? What if you could stop doing the things you don't like to do and spend a larger percentage of your time doing things that feed your soul, that make you sing? Think about that. Something that I come back to again and again. I think we have the power to change the world in a really positive way. And so I would invite all of your listeners to think about ways they may be able to do that. That is a fantastic last point. Judy, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Love Foot. Oh, the pleasure was mine, Nicole. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.